The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are uh, picking up in the book of Galatians. Uh, Peter did a fantastic job of leading us through uh, the first portion of Galatians 2 uh, last week. And we are going to pick up here, and we're just going to look at Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. Um, this is, uh, if, you are, if you've been around here for a while, we, we uh, tend to preach large passages or sections or paragraphs of the Bible, and so it's very unusual. It's a little weird for me to be preaching through two verses. And so we're going to preach through these two verses, and I'm going to read um, a translation of these uh, verses from um, Dr. Longernecker. He's a commentary I read. Um, it's going to feel a little different than your ESV, if you've got an ESV in front of you. It's totally fine. We're going to work through some of this together. But here we go, Galatians 2, 15 and 16. But we who are Jews by birth and not sinners of the Gentiles, and who know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but only by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order that we might be justified on the basis of the faithfulness of Christ and not on the basis of works of the law. Because on the basis of works of the law shall no one be justified. So let's begin our time by praying. Father, as we look at these words together and we consider what does it mean to have a right relationship with you, to be justified before you, God, this huge topic, would we feel your welcoming acceptance of us through Jesus? Would we feel that you love us and want us and have sent Christ in our place so that we might be one family with you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think that we've all seen enough teen movies um, to be able to know that at the heart of every good movie uh, that is aimed, you know, teen movies or whatever, is the yearning for acceptance, right? Uh, I was recently subjected to... Uh, my brother is a big fan of the Fast and Furious movies, and I'm not rec- recommending them in the slightest, but you pick up very quickly that there is a yearning for acceptance. I don't, I don't even understand what's going on in the movie between some guys and some other guys in their cars. <laughs> my reference point is the Goonies, right? There's a yearning for acceptance, and they all realize in these catacombs finding all these crazy pirate schemes that they want to be right? Goonies, right? They're accepted. They're, they're part of a group. They all feel like outcasts and they don't belong anywhere. And yet they are all find acceptance in this one group. We are just going to jump right into our passage because at the heart of our passage is this yearning for acceptance. What does it mean to be accepted into God's family, to be accepted with God? And why should you actually want that? Like, is that a, like, I think about that sometimes with like, my non-Christian friends, like, why should they why should they want, we talk about this big category of justification, but why, why should my non-Christian friends, why should your non-Christian friends or family want, why should they actually yearn for justification? <laughs> this huge term that we, nobody knows today. But it's because at the heart of the question of justification is what does it mean to be accepted? Right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul has been confronting Peter, remember from last week, confronting Peter because there have been the outsiders, the non-Jews, who have finally found acceptance with God and his people, and yet other Jews come in and they say, no, 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 
You need to do a certain few things until you are accepted with God. That's what's going on in the heart of the doctrine of, of justification. That's what this passage is all about. The big category of the doctrine of justification is, what does it mean for somebody to find acceptance with God? Does God actually accept you? Is maybe one question. How do we find acceptance with God? And why does it matter? It's, it's this category of, what does it mean for our identity to be wrapped up and embraced by God himself? So there's a lot of details in this passage that we're going to kind of unpack and work through, and it's two, two verses, and it's going to feel like it's an eternity at a certain point. <laughs> but I, as we unpack these two passages, we're going to see that there's these three main categories related to what does it mean to feel accepted, to, embrace, for, to find that God does embrace us and accept us, this whole category of justification. So... If you'll notice here, as I kind of lay out this, this, these verses for us, it looks like um, you know some uh, American cubism stuff going on here. I didn't mean that, but you'll notice that there's these three main phrases going on here. There's the justified. I got those in the yellow, right? I didn't realize I was using primary colors until <laughs> afterwards. All you artists are kind of like, well, duh. I'm like, well, you know, okay, I don't get paid to be an artist, okay? So... Uh, justified, there's the, the red category of works of the law, and then there's faithfulness or belief or faith, like that whole category, right? In our, in the ESV, it translates all of those blue ones as faith in Jesus Christ or belief in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to talk about why I think that we should probably just slightly tweak that a little bit when we get there. It, uh, we're going to land in the same place, but I think it's going to fill out the passage for us. But these three kind of details of works of the law, that phrase justified, and then that category of faith, those are going to help us to begin to unpack this very central idea at the heart of this passage. What does it mean to be accepted by God? What does that mean? How do we get accepted with God? And why should we want it? So here's what this main, the, the passage is mainly about, and then we're going to jump into asking some questions to, to understand what's going on. main point of this passage is enjoy acceptance with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Alone is very important here because it is Jesus Christ alone and how we gain acceptance with God. So, but this passage is driving at enjoy acceptance with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So, we're going to talk here at the first, we're going to kind of break this apart into four main questions. And we're going to start out by asking, what is, what does acceptance by God mean? What does that, what does that mean for us? And that's this whole category of justification, right? What, what actually is justification? Before we kind of get into it, we're just going to talk about what does it mean, just as simply, what does it mean to be accepted with God, right? At the heart of the biblical story is this very clear reality, I think it's lived out in the newsreels of every week. We are fundamentally broken, Deep down inside, we are broken. A biblical picture of the invisible world of the human heart is that we are broken deep down and that we have a very deep problem going on. It's not merely that we do bad things. It's that deep down, we have a clenched fist of a heart towards God. And that is the nature of the broken reality that we live in. Right? That's, that's why in the Galatian letter, right, there's people who are wanting to be in with God and there's people who's trying to push people out with God. Well, those, those dynamics, it's because we have this internal problem of rejecting God deep inside. And justification is then looking at our brokenness and saying, I'm going to bring it in line 
with who God is. God's looking at our brokenness and saying, looking at our sin and saying, I'm bringing you in line with who I am. In the biblical picture, that, that bringing in line with relationship with God, that, that overcoming of the problem of our fist towards God inside, is a declaration of God saying, I'm going to make you right with me. It's God orienting towards us and saying, you will now be in my family. So, to use a very technical definition, this is from a big fat book that defines all these Greek and Hebrew words. It's wicked big and heavy. It's like it's its own fitness plan, just to pick it up. Um, Justification means to cause someone to be released from personal are institutional claims that are no longer to be considered pertinent or valid, right? It is a releasing of claims upon somebody as though they were not valid anymore. And the problem when we hear these sort of terms of like being released from guilt or being released from punishment is that we tend to think of them in terms of like our current legal system, right? Have you ever been to jail, ever been prosecuted or whatever, right? Even when everything's said and done and you've found guilty, you go serve your prison time and you come out, you are still, in a certain sense, perpetually guilty, right? You're on a registration, you, you know, it comes up in background reviews and all that stuff, and so it sticks with you for a long time. So it's hard for us to consider what, what does this even mean to be justified to say what you had, the, the problems that you had with God are no longer valid, and then now you're being treated like as though they never happened. Like, that's kind of what's going on in justification. And it's hard for us to gather that because it, 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 this is not a part of our legal code. Also, we actually end up thinking a lot about our relationship with being accepted with God in terms of, like, earning our place with God. Like, God, I think I, I just have to, if I do enough, I can overcome all of the, the problems in my background, the, all the problems that I bring to the table, that the, the background check stuff that comes up. All of that. The problem with that is that we um, we end up kind of being uh, thinking about justification as though we can earn it. Have you ever, have you ever seen this moment? Sally Fields in the uh, this is way old for some of you guys. I recognize Sally Fields in the Academy Awards when she won the Oscar for Best Female Actress of the Year. She famously gets up and she says, "You like me right now. You like me." Like, we have this sense of justification that, like, somehow we're going to meet this point of, you know, I can kind of scrub out my background, I can figure things out enough, and then God's going to say to me, you're justified, and we're going to have this experience of, like, oh, you finally like me, God. It's going to get us in our next category of how we fail. But here is the main point. Before we get into that, justification is something that God does towards us. It's not something that we do towards God. That's the main heart of justification. Justification, acceptance, is what God does towards us and bring us into his family. Justification is not something that we muster up to get the door open into his family. So, how do we fail to gain acceptance with God? So, we're going to pick up on this category, verse 15 of this this verse. We who are Jews by birth and not sinners of the Gentiles... And then we're going to talk about this category that we picked up on in that the red letter ones, right? The red category ones of works of the law. What does that mean? We know that a person is not justified by works of the law because on the basis of works of the law shall no one be justified. There's actually a third usage and just, it was confusing to kind of put it in a paragraph. So 
the main point that Paul is driving at here is, look, we, were, we who are ethnically Jews by birth, we know that you can't be justified with God by works of the law. Works of the law will never change you. So at, at the beginning, what Paul is driving at here is that how do we fail at gaining acceptance with God? Well, verse 15, right, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, so the ESV says, proximity to being in God's house doesn't make you a part of God's family, right? He's basically saying, you guys think that just because you're a bunch of church kids and you grew up in the church and you've always been a Christian, just because you've been around a church does not mean by proximity that you're therefore a part of God's family. That does not guarantee you entrance into God's family. It's not like you can be, um, it's not like you can have a green card, sit outside the courtroom as other people are taking their whatever you say to become a citizen. I don't know, like the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever? Like, I don't know. I'm never, I was born American. I didn't have to become an American. But whatever it is, like some of you guys are looking at me like, Jacob, you're so ignorant. I'm like, I know, I know. But it's not like you can have your green card, sit outside the courtroom as other people are taking their naturalizing vows. They walk out the room, and then you get to say, yeah, I'm a part of them too. Well, no, no, no. They, they, there's been a change with them that has not happened with you. That's what Paul is saying here. You can't just be up, grow up in the household of God. You can't be around it and cut your way into God's family. Now, the other one that we want to pick up on here is works of the law. Again, I appreciate you guys kind of sticking with me because there are, there are a lot of details here to kind of unpack. What is this phrase, works of the law? This is going to get us into If you ever kind of read into this stuff, it gets us in a big old hairy mess. And I'm just going to kind of simplify it for us real, real quick here as best I can. Works of the law is mentioned three times here in verse 16. So, one interpretation of this is just to say, works of the law is legalism. You can't earn your, your place into God's family, period. Is that what Paul's talking about here? Is Paul addressing, it was Peter, remember, this is Paul, what Paul is saying this all to Peter in his confrontation with Peter. And was, Paul, was Peter teaching you needed to earn your way into God's family? Well, no. Peter wasn't saying that. Peter was saying, like, you know, like, I think that it's probably going to be best for us to act like we're separate from the Gentiles just to kind of preserve the peace here for to Peter's message from last week. Right, so I don't think that this is bald legalism, so to speak. Right? It's not like Paul is saying, like, you can't earn your way into the, in, in, the, in God's family because that's what Peter's teaching. So if that's not what Peter's teaching, it's not what Paul's addressing. Here's what I think is going on here. I think Paul has in mind the Mosaic law, the Jewish system of, of responding to God's redeeming power through Israel. And at the first, in first century Judaism, what they understood as works of the law was a, a glad response to God's activity in their lives. It was a glad response. Works of the law were good things that you did because God was a good God who saved you. Right? So it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, it is a response to who God is and what he's done. And so we're going to obey the Torah law. We're going to, you know, keep the Ten Commandments. We're going to take our Sabbaths on Saturday. We're going to obey kosher. Like, those are all works of the law, in addition to acts of mercy and those sort of things. And so then when you look at this and you say, okay, Paul, what are you driving at? What Paul is driving at is you can't be good enough to get into heaven. Like, that's what he's actually, 
it's a more profound point than saying legalism is bad, like you can't earn your way into God's presence. He's saying you can't good your way into God's family. Right? He is saying there's no way that you can uh, be good enough, works of the law can be righteous enough to make you a part of God's family. He, he's making this very profound point. Right? It's not merely that you, you can't just be like you can't just be around God's people and then be included. It is not even that you can do God's stuff and then be included. Both of those will never justify you. They, they will never earn that declaration from God, you're in my family. Right? That's the problem that Paul is driving at because Peter had kind of like backed his way into legalism, right? Saying, well, we're, we're going to be separate from those Gentiles and so now we're a part of God's people. Like there's a way of backing your way into legalism, but it's not intended to be that. So, even all the best moral choices that we can make will never mark us out as a part of God's people. So, we can't say works of the law are bad, because here's the thing, right? All the works of the law that, that Paul's talking about, like, you know, be faithful to your spouse, don't lie, don't cheat, don't murder, those sort of things, those are actually, like, good things that you should do. <laughs> Generally advised, murder is bad, right? We're, just, we're all going to agree on that, right? That's a good work of the law. But... Not, by not murdering other people does not mean that you're not good enough to be a part of God's family. That's what Paul is driving at here. So that's why here at the end of verse 16, or he says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But he's actually quoting here Psalm 143, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Right? He's actually referring to Psalm 143, verse 12, verse 2, where he says, don't enter into, don't judge us too harsh, God. Don't judge us because nobody can be righteous before you, God. Right? It's a, it's a prayer from the Psalms. And then he ends, verse 21 here in chapter 2, by saying, if righteousness were through the law or works of the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right? So here, just, here's the groundwork of where we're at so far. Right? Paul has so far been talking about how what does it mean to be accepted in God's family? And he's saying, you can't just be near God's family, and you can't just act like God's family. So then the question is, then who gets us into God's family? How, do we, how are we brought into God's family? So that's where we're going to hear go. Uh, the third question we're going to ask is, who gives us acceptance with God? Who gives us acceptance with God? So we're going to kind of begin to unpack the rest of verse 16 here for us. Who gives us acceptance with God? So, let's read this here. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but only by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order that we might be justified on the basis of the faithfulness of Christ and not on the basis of works of the law. So, the reason that I want to, I want to use that phrase of faithfulness of Christ of Christ or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ rather than in two of those places faith in Jesus Christ is it's a whole grammatical thing in the in the new, in the Greek of the Old New Testament it is it's a possessive word of faith that's trying to latch on to either the pronoun of us is it our faith or is it Jesus and what Jesus has done and his faithfulness I think that it is Jesus' faithfulness because there's many times in which 
the Old Testament talks about the faithfulness of God towards his people. God has been faithful to his people. He's been the one who's kept his side of the bargain, so to speak. He's been faithful for love and justice and mercy and holiness in his actions towards his people. He has been good. And the emphasis on this passage is not on the goodness of our faith, but it's on the goodness of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, it's on who he is and what he's done. It's all about celebrating and enjoying what Jesus has accomplished. So, I think, because the focus of justification is thus Jesus' faithfulness to God and not our faith to him, I think that we need to read this ver- these two phrases as uh, only by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I know it's going to feel like, well, Jacob, you're making a big deal out of nothing. I promise, I do think this is important for us. You see, the heart of the gospel is Jesus faithful, being faithful to God, to live a life honoring and obeying God and perfect in every way. He is the true expression. He is the trueness of humanity in loving, knowing, and enjoying God. We want Jesus to be faithful because we have not. Even our works of the law, the best of our efforts for God, have failed to change us from the inside out. We cannot change ourselves for who we are. But if Jesus is faithful, and then he says he does it for us, we begin to feel the spark of hope that we will be accepted with God. So that's where I just want to pull out here that phrase, even as we have believed in Christ Jesus in order that we might be justified. See, that, that drives us into the heart of acceptance. That drives us into the heart of justification because all that the, the passage says that we're doing in order to be justified with God is believing that Jesus was faithful in our place. Right? Believing that Jesus did something that we could never do. Believing this act, actually, that word there, believed, it's, again, I'm not trying to be all like, like ultra nerd out on the Bible, but it is a, a one-time event that has future implications. It's a, it's a sort of, it's an aorist sort of Greek grammar stuff. All you guys, are, you can look up, whatever. It's kind of like when you say, I do, in a wedding, right? You don't have to wake up every morning and say, I do. I mean, I guess you can, but <laughs> I do. And Dave, 1,532, I do. <laughs> but you say it once and it has a long-time effect. Or maybe more accurately, when you, have your, when you take your citizenship, and you become a citizen of another country, again, whatever it is, scouts honor or whatever, <laughs> I do, and it, has a, it, it changes who you are forever from there out. That's what this is. When it, this is an allegiance, this is a, a trusting, this is an enjoying, this is a receiving word that says all of Jesus and who he is and his faithfulness to God in my place, something I can never do, I'm with him. I'm on team Jesus so that I can be right with God because strangely enough, God has said, if you believe in him, I got you. That, 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 it, it begins to kind of begin to boil the brain of like, how is this even possible? Like, is this really what's going on here that, that God looks at him and says, if you believe in Jesus, you're accepted with me. Because here, can we throw up here Romans 8 or Romans 4? I apologize. Here, Romans 4. Now, to the one who works, now throw in this positive reading of works of the law from, from Galatians 2, right? Even the one who works and does good stuff for God, 
to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What he's saying there is, if you do good things for God, and he welcomes you in the family, you've earned your spot, and God owes you. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Right? To the one who doesn't do anything, to the one who rejects God and to the one who works for God, both of them doesn't count for anything. It is trusting, leaning, receiving, enjoying all of what God proclaims to you in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us right with God, accepted with God, justified and in his family. Right? That is the power of what justification does. Because as I've been reading this passage, I'm just like, okay, we're saying this, all of this Galatians is about true freedom. There's something about justification that really wakes Paul up in the morning, excites him all through the day, and he goes to bed excited about talking about it the next day. There's something about it that just is absolutely radically different than anything else that we could ever possibly imagine. And I think that it is this very deep reality that Jesus... And all of who he is has been faithful where we have failed over and over again. He has been victorious, not only at a distance, but he then has been faithful in all of the ways in which we have failed because his faithfulness drove him to the cross where he dies under the wrath of God for faithless people like you and me. So then it's not merely that Jesus is that good guy out there doing good stuff that, man, man, I can never live up to that. But his good work, his faithfulness, drives him in such a way that he sees, wants, and knows you and me. He wants us in his family. That's the whole swoop of the cross. That's where the cross leads him, is that his faithfulness to God is actually to be faithful to God so that people who have rejected God. If you imagine a battlefield, the very people who are fighting against God are then transformed in a moment by the general of the good guys dying, taking the bullets for the people on the bad side so that then they become a part of God's family. If you're following the imagery, it's a bit of a mix of everything. See, the power of what's going on here is not, the emphasis is not on our unworthiness. It is true, we are unworthy, and we need to recognize we are unworthy. But the emphasis is on all of who he is and what he has done. You see, it's, there is a power in seeing our unworthiness. I'm not able to make myself right with God. I don't, need to just, I don't need a self-improvement plan or have the right friends. I see myself for who I really am and cannot be in God's family. But I see what Jesus has done, that he has done what I can't. He has been faithful, whole, pure, good in every aspect of his relationship with God and then steps in to know the fullness of my unworthiness and dies to break the power of sin and death over me, to bring me into God's family. You see, the rela- our relationship with God can't change until something changes in the relationship. But it's not that we have to change who we are. 
And it's not even that God changes who he is. It's that Jesus changes who has power over us. Satan, sin, and death, or Jesus' faithfulness. It's all done by him. So, here's where I want to end us. I want to ask the question, why does acceptance with God matter today? You see, we've been talking about receiving receiving this gift of acceptance with God through Jesus. So why, why does acceptance with God matter today? What does it matter for us? Why does it matter for us to want this? Here is what I think the payoff is. We don't need to struggle to make God understand us. You see, God, God gets who we are. Actually, the biblical picture of justification is that because Jesus lives a life that we could not have lived and dies the death that we could not have died in our place, he actually knows us from the inside out. You see, often we struggle with being accepted by others because, you know what, we, they, we feel like we're misunderstood, they don't understand us, people do not get who we are. Like, they, you know, they just don't get us. Like, they don't get our sense of humor, they don't understand our problems, all that sort of stuff. We feel like we'll never measure up to somebody else's standards, and so we often feel like we're on the outside of a group. But you see, with God, this is not how God is. We do not need to help God figure out who we are. We don't need to tell God, you know what, God, actually, you don't quite understand me, God. Here's, here's the real problem of what's going on in my life. We don't need to help God. We need to explain ourselves to God to help him to get him, get a, get him to understand us. Justification means that God already and rightly and deeply, more intimately than you possibly could imagine, understands you. So to throw a quote out here from Catherine Sodbert, these Scandinavian names are always giving me Mexicans. Catherine Sonderegger. Can we throw this up? I don't know how you would pronounce that, but Catherine Sonderegger, theologian, written a great fan systematic theology. In our deepest ungodliness, he is already within it. Assuming it, bearing it, taking it for his own. This is Christ's high priestly work. He intercedes with the Father, not from some lofty altar, of, uh, lofty altar, undefiled, but rather from within our own disfigured hearts. In just this way, Christ is victor. See what she's driving at is, you don't have to, you don't have to get Jesus' attention to help him understand who you are. This doctrine of justification says that Jesus indwells the fullness of all of our brokenness and twisted hearts, all the things that are wrong with us. That is the altar of where he says, I understand you. I die in God, in, for your place in front of God. And now I live beside you by the power of the Spirit, helping not only you understand who God is, but actually helping God to experience... I'm not getting this right. He is beside you. See, I struggle. I've, I've been struggling with this all week because it, it's hard to bring into words all of what's going on here. Because Jesus, by the doctrine of justification, is most intimately for you. And that's what I'm trying to gather here, is that He is... Not merely just saying, like, God declares you righteous. Thanks, God. Appreciate that up in heaven. Now I've got my life to live down here. I think what this passage from Catherine is driving at is that Jesus is 
he sees all of what you are and who you are and is bringing God's mercy most deeply inside you. Bringing God's victory over the things that, that, are, that drive you to fear and to weep and to feel despair. He is the one beside the inside the deep the depths of all of our problems driving us into this loving acceptance of who God is for us I'm not even sure I'm making sense is that making sense at all you guys all right I I feel at the end I feel at the end of what I'm able to talk about here you see this doctrine of justification drives at radical freedom because you are known from the inside out because Christ fully took your place before God. You see, this is a liberating power of justification. You don't need to muster up a life with a good track record of good deeds. You don't need to have a good sequence of good days to get God's attention. You don't need to have New Year's resolutions and self-improvement plans that you actually fulfill and you lose the weight that you said you're going to lose and you're not as mean to your friends and family like you said you were going to be. You do not have to do those things in order to get God's attention and affection. Right? You don't need to do church attendance in order to get God's attention. You don't have to have your act together for 30 days in a row for God to pay attention to you. You see, you gain acceptance with God only on the basis of who Jesus is and what he has done in your place. He is the only one who has lived a life to gain God's attention. And he did it so that you, in the wreck of our lives, do not have to gain any sort of momentum to get God's attention or affection. God sees you, he knows you, all that you are, from, the, from within the wreck of your life and heart, and with Jesus' death for you, he declares you right, love, and accepted. And nothing can change that. One final thought, and we'll close with this. One, one final thought and an application. I want to pick up a couple of verses from Romans 8 that talk about justification and drive at this community dynamic of what Paul is driving at in Galatians 2. Can we pull up Galatians? There we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Again, remember this part we were talking about at the beginning? It is God who declares, he says, you're made right with me because I love you and I want you. Only on the basis of who Jesus is. What this verse helps us see and what Paul is addressing is that you, in every relationship that you have, you have no right to judge or condemn the people that God has made right with himself through Jesus Christ. You have no right to judge or condemn Whoever God has made right with himself, whoever God has redeemed, you have no right to judge them. That doesn't mean that we don't talk about holiness. It doesn't mean that we talk about that it's somehow like we don't do church discipline or any of that sort of things, the hard parts of the Christian life. It doesn't mean we don't do those things. But at a fundamental basis, you have no right to stand any inch higher to any other believer, spouse, friend, person of the church, doesn't matter. You have no right to stand an inch higher over them because it is God who justifies, period. Right? There's no one inch higher or lower before the cross. It is absolute even ground. And just as that, there is no justification, there is no 
higher justification or lower justification, there is Jesus Christ and Him or nothing else. So in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, we do not orient towards each other as though other people have something to prove in order to gain God's acceptance. That's not to say that people who have bad track records somehow get a free pass. Not what we're talking about. We're talking about a fundamental identity level. Nobody has nothing to prove to be accepted with God. And if that's the case, then we have an invitation to an infinitely compassionate life with other people. Because God is the one who's justified them. And so then, let us engage with them as true equal brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's end with this. How can we live in the power of this liberating, radical justification? How can we live in this power? I just want to throw up two suggestions. Cultivate an honest, humble sense of our own unworthiness. Right? This is a part of what Paul's doing. Works of the law will never justify you. Right? Even my best deeds it will never justify. Never, they can never earn God's declaration. You're made right. You're a part of my family. Cultivating a sense of our own unworthiness is healthy for us. I'm not talking about like crazy, excessive, like negative introspection, like, oh, you're the worst person ever, all that sort of stuff. I'm not I'm just saying, like, you know what? Even on my best days, I couldn't earn God's favor. I just couldn't earn my place in God's family. I just, even on my best days, when like I wake up, when my alarm clock goes off, when I do my devotions and I do my work, and I never get distracted by Facebook, and I don't yell at my kids, and I'm nice to other people, and I don't judge other people on the streets or whatever. And that's just by lunchtime, right? <laughs> just cultivating this healthy sense of our own unworthiness. I just, God, you know what? It's all mercy. And then, on the other hand, cultivate a radical, near-offensive confidence that God wants you in, a fa- in his family, just like Jesus. Right? This is the most striking thing to me about people that are most liberated by the power of the gospel, is that they talk about God like God wants them around. And I just don't understand that sometimes. I'm like... You mean God, you, you think God actually likes you? And then I confront these passages and I'm like, yeah, he does. <laughs> he likes you. God wants you in his family. He's not begrudged that, oh my gosh, I have to tolerate this Jacob guy or whoever in my family. He's said, you know what? Jesus has been faithful and that's enough. It, this radical confidence that God wants you in his family. Like, my, my littlest children, all my children, but my, I'm thinking my, my littlest, Ian, he just kind of like walks up like, hey, Dad, what's up? You're just blessed to be in my presence. <laughs> like, like this kind of like near arrogance, but it's, he's a kid, you know? It's just the way kids are. That is the sort of thing that a, a radical pow- experience of this justifying power of Jesus is like. So what if we worshipped and praised and prayed as though we did not have to prove anything to God, but He wants us around? We would experience this profound sense of we are not worthy to receive this, but that He wants us. And if you feel the tension of that, that is the gospel. Really? Yes, really. So that's why... I think this passage is all driving us at enjoying acceptance with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.